There's a voice that cries out in the silence Searching for a heart that will love him Longing for a child that will give him their all Give it all, he won't settle And there's a God that walks over the earth Searching for a heart that is desperate Longing for a child that will This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Once again, God has privileged us to come together to worship in spirit and in truth. And we invite you to celebrate this great opportunity with us as we fellowship one with another in this virtual experience. This morning, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 6 through 10. 1 John chapter 1 verses 6 through 10, as we continue our exposition in John's writing 
to a group of Christians in the region of Asia Minor. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to take a look this morning at the subject dealing with our kryptonite. Dealing with our kryptonite. That should be a familiar story to those of us who were born, particularly in the 50s and the 60s. And yet, no matter how much of a superhero he posed to be fictitiously, the 1950s character Superman had a weakness. Remember what they used to say about him, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, faster than a speeding bullet, Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Yes, Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities beyond those of mortal man. Superman, who changed the course of mighty rivers, bent steel with his bare hands, and who disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Little boys and little girls envision this superhero with that big S on his cape. He would come to rescue the perishing. He would intervene when death was about to strike. He would stop evil right in its tracks. He would create justice when injustice was invading a human life. This DC comic fictional character was the savior of a fictional world. Nothing could stop him, nothing could trip him, nothing could hinder him, nothing could distract him except a fictitious green crystal-like material originating from his hometown of Krypton known as kryptonite. Exposure to this radioactive substance weakens and destroys the indestructible. It had detrimental effects on Superman. He would lose all of his power when exposed. He would be defeated unless the kryptonite was removed totally from his presence. Storylines have shown Kryptonite's effect on Superman as once again rendering him powerless and rendering him unable to move. And if exposed to this kryptonite over an extended period of time, it would eventually lead to his death. Let me suggest that John equates this fictional danger of kryptonite to what the Bible describes as a non-fictional kryptonite called sin. 
In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, John introduces us to the doctrinal incarnation that began on display in the gospel of John chapter 1. Now he is introducing another critical doctrine to the Christian faith, the doctrine of sin. But let me draw your attention to a very critical perspective of John, and that is that John contends that your view of God will determine your view of sin. In other words, John is saying the starting point for understanding sin begins with your starting point on how you understand God. John elevates a certain principle, and that principle is there is what John describes as an interrelationship between God and doctrinal beliefs. The interrelationship is evident in the stated verb actions that's used throughout the first four verses. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have held, what we have seen manifested, it has given us fellowship with God, fellowship with his son, which has resulted in a complete life of joy. That's the first four verses of this chapter. Now, because of our interrelatedness with God, we have the outflowing presence of God as we follow through yet on another verb that John identifies. Walk or walking with God. We are walking with God, we are walking for God, we are walking because of God, which grants us fellowship with God, which points us back to the starting point again, God. And John says in the text that this is the message. That's what he says there. This is the message in verse 5. This is the message our life is assigned to display because being in God makes us be in light. And I said to you on last week that God wants us to walk in the light because light defeats darkness. Light overshadows darkness. Light helps us master our midnights. Remember I said God wants us to be preaching lights Preaching lights because in Matthew 5 he says we are lights to the world and no one lights a candle and place it under but we put it elevated on the top so that we can give light to all who are in the house. You are a preaching light because God wants you to help direct those who are in your context who may be walking in darkness. John says we are to be productive lights. Remember we looked at Luke chapter 16 and verse 8. And there Jesus says the master of the house recognizes the tenacity of the unjust servant who was crooked, but yet when told that he would be cast out into the street, he had to find a way to survive. And the master recognized, although you are a crooked being, you have great tenacity. And Jesus says to us in the same light as sent through John, I want you to be a productive light, meaning you find a way to survive. Because in walking in the light, you have a way of making your way through the maze even when there is darkness. 
We're called to be provisional lights. Provisional lights mean that God says, if I gave you light, then I want you to light to give light back out. We centralize it on John chapter 12 and verse 36, where Jesus says, as long as you are here and as long as the light is in you, walk in that light. In other words, as long as we are living, let's provide light to someone else's life that they too may be an opportunity to walk out of the darkness. And then John says we should be perpetuating lights. That means that we should shine and illuminate as God did. Paul says in Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 that we are to imitate God. Imitate God to the point that everywhere we see how God brings light, let's work to bring the same light. And then in verse 7 through 10 in the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, don't go back to darkness. That's a place where you once were. He's now referring to the lifestyle, but he says instead, walk in the light. Then he says, we will become children of the light. But notice as we look at the text in verse 7 of chapter 1, 1 John, clause C, John introduces to us another dimension the central work of Jesus' redemption at the cross. He says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all kryptonite, from all sin. He started talking about this kryptonite detriment in the previous verses by using the term darkness because this darkness can interrupt your life and can cause you to not walk in the life that God has in store for you. Cause you to not illuminate in the light that God desires for you and cause you not to share in the love that God has anointed you to do. Walking with God means fellowship. There's an intimate relationship that is taking place because of who we are in Christ. It means favor. I mean, let's just admit it, there are some blessings that we have in store for us and that are granted because we are children of God. It means faith, for we walk by not being able to see where we're going, yet we believe that God is leading us, not by sight, but by walking by faith and focus, keeping our eyes concentrating on the end result which is the prize that's granted to us by walking with God. That's what he says to us here in verse 6 and 7. This darkness, this kryptonite poses a threat to light bearers, a threat to stamp out the light that's in us, and its objective is to do several things. Number one, stamp it out so that it may destabilize your life. In other words, this darkness, this kryptonite sin desires to wreak chaos in our life. It also desires to desensitize our consciousness for life. It works to minimize our conviction that something is wrong to a point where what is wrong becomes a comfortable experience for us, desensitizing our spiritual perception. It also works to disenfranchise us, to disenfranchise our potential walk in the light. 
because it knows darkness, evil, Satan, sin knows when we walk in the light, there are tremendous benefits for being a light bearer. And then its desire is to disqualify your speaking life. That's what happened to Jesus in Matthew 4, Satan's attempt to disqualify Jesus from speaking life from that point on in his ministry. But John is calling us to recognize that we have to stay in the light that we might be victorious in Jesus Christ. So the darkness and the kryptonite wants to break our fellowship with God, knowing that would affect our fellowship with one another. It's this kryptonite, it's this sin, it's this darkness, both seen and unseen. We use two terms to describe that in theology, sin of commission and sin of omission. What I know I'm doing and what I'm not aware of what I'm doing. Listen to what John says in clause C of verse 7 of 1 John 1. It's that kind of context that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Now you want to know how I know that has relation to what's going on in us? Because the word cleanse is in the present tense. That suggests in the Greek that God keeps on continuously cleansing us over and over and over again from both principle of sin as well as habit of sin. What's wrapped in that statement is the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of sin and Christology all wrapped up in a single doctrine. And yet, we should not be tempted to think that kryptonite, that sin, that the kryptonite sin problem is an isolated one. No, the Bible makes clear that this kryptonite, this sin, this evil, this darkness has managed to hit every one of us, all of creation. And here's a newsflash, even the great heroes of the sacred text. You need to read Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 through 3 because there's a line in there that raises our consciousness in connection to John that causes us to remember that we're not in this detrimental posture alone. Listen to what the writer says in Hebrews. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I want to stop right there. Because that lets me know that when we talk about the issue of sin or kryptonite, and I keep calling it kryptonite because it has the power to cripple us, even defeat and send us to death. The writer makes clear that we are surrounded, I would contend both in the heavens and in the earth, but I'm going to give you a list from the heavens of those who have suffered from the same effect and from the same challenge and issue of kryptonite. Call the role, Adam, who suffered from the temptation to disobey kryptonite. Cain, who suffered from anger, which eventually led to murder of his brother, kryptonite. Abraham, who suffered from a lying spirit, kryptonite. Jacob, who suffered from deceitfulness, kryptonite. 
And just in case, so sisters, you won't think that you are excluded, Rebecca, who suffered like her own son as a deceiver, kryptonite, Moses, who was a convicted felon, kryptonite, David, who was a convicted idolatrous, kryptonite, and Solomon, David's own son, who struggled with greed and idolatry. They are just the beginning of the kryptonite problems in the Bible. Just in case someone is here and you've decided that you are the one who has not been affected by this kryptonite, this sin issue, you might want to go back and read 1 John chapter 1, specifically verse 8 and 10. Because listen to what John says. If we, you, I, say we don't have kryptonite in us, around us, we are deceiving ourselves. Verse 10. If we say, if you say, if I say, I am not affected by kryptonite sin, we are a liar, says John. Here's what John is trying to get us to see. Deal with your kryptonite. Deal with that sin issue. Deal with that which keeps causing you to be defeated. Now, the writer in Hebrews 12, 1 says, since that we've been surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, he gives us a solution in dealing with this, as well as John. He says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, and every sin which does so easily entangle us. The word entangle there means which gets our lives out of step with God, which begins to attack our consciousness. It begins to cause us to miss the mark. That's what sin means, to miss the mark. The high calling that God has established, missing the mark. It says, let us lay aside. But then John says, it's not just the action, but it's the confession. So John says how to deal with your kryptonite. He gives us three things, and then I'm done. He says, number one, know that sin is an interruption in your walk. In other words, this kryptonite is used, this darkness is used by the opposing team, evil, Satan. Particularly when you're walking in victory, you're walking in success, you're walking in prosperity, you're walking in purpose. You are bringing forth fruit no matter where you turn. You're bringing forth life. You're being victorious. Great things are happening. And the enemy wants to do one thing. Throw kryptonite in your path that you might miss the mark, that you might get off of the way. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's kryptonite at its best. But I have come that you might have life, says Jesus, and have it more abundantly. It may pose a temporary pleasure. You may find it to be satisfactory in the moment, but understand, be careful, because its longevity can be detrimental. It could be a killer. Know that sin is an interruption in your life. You want to be convinced about that, just read the life of David and understand that even after 
his sin with Bathsheba, although his life was still blessed, he was still the king of Israel, but it began to take a downward turn. And just read Psalm 51, because in Psalm 51, David reminds us that this consciousness of what happens in his life, he says, my sin is ever before me, and he pleads for God's forgiveness. He gets it, but he still has to deal with the issue of knowing that this was an interruption in his life. Then there's a second way that John says we need to deal with this, and that is your confession is the initiative to breaking the bondage. Listen to what he says in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1. He says it plainly with such power, if we confess, speak with our mouth, God is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's good news. That God will fix your life if you confess that I know I'm wrong, I know I shouldn't have done it, God, please forgive me. And listen to what John says. Your confession will lead to your restoration. But then there's a third thing that John says. Or at least, at least John and the writer of Hebrews suggest to us. And that is voluntarily laying aside every kryptonite, as I said before in verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12, that so easily entangles us. I want to centralize on the word volunteer. Because I refer back to David again in the story in which David's issue arose, David would have left it in private had it not been for God speaking through Nathan the prophet. And in other words, I think John is suggesting to us voluntarily bring it to a close. Fix it. Repent of it. Metonea is the Greek word. Turn around. Go in another direction. Leave it alone. Cut it loose. And that could be anything. That could be a bad habit. That could be being around bad people. That could be existing in a bad context. That could be participating in bad practices. Cut it loose. Voluntarily let it go, says the writer in Hebrews. Let us lay aside every weight and then sin that so easily betangles us. And then it says, let us run this race with endurance that is set before us. What is the race that is set before us? The life of victory. The life of power, the life of glory, the life of joy. And then he closes by saying, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who gave us an example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father on his own throne. So John is calling us to make this tremendous decision to deal with our kryptonite. To don't let it continue to master us, but we look unto Jesus for the strength to not only break it, master it, and dispose it out of our lives so we can continue to walk in victory.
Some of you may think that it's difficult to do that. It's a hard challenge to break a habit, and it is. I must admit to you. But then that becomes the role of the Holy Spirit to enable you through the word of God to apply scripture to a situation that you know is beginning to cause your life to go in a direction you certainly don't intend for it to go. I close with this word from the psalmist because it is my prayer that as you listen to this warning from John about dealing with this kryptonite, that it may find a place to sit deep in your soul. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For the Lord God is indeed our strength and our redeemer. And he will give you what you need to deal with your kryptonite. Thus be the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord, consecrate this hour in which the word of God has gone forth and may it find the soil that it needs to rest in and in due season that fruit will come forth. But God, I pray immediately that that person will begin to experience the power <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit to transform their life. And when they leave this moment of worship, they'll never be the same. In Jesus name. Amen. I want to say thank you so much for being so kind in your continuous support as we continue to do ministry here at Greater Little Zion. And we encourage you, as always, upon the conclusion of this sermon, that you would go and continue to make your sacrificial contribution to the ministry, whether it be by text, text giving, or by e-giving by way of the website, or whether you send us your check or your money order, however you see fit through mail, we greatly appreciate all of your contributions for it allows us to continue to do ministry and to celebrate the greatness that God has in store for us. Have a wonderful day, Zion, as we continue to worship the Lord in this day and know that God always <clears throat> has the best in store for you and that the best is always yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>